Dr. Deepa is a double board certified pediatric and adult psychiatrist and a clinical assistant professor of child and adolescent psychiatry at NYU Langone Medical Center. She teaches the very popular NYU undergraduate class titled Love Actually, focused broadly on developing a holistic understanding of love and intimacy. Dr. Deepa has her own private practice in Manhattan, utilizing an existential perspective with a focus on the therapeutic benefits of spirituality in the treatment of her patients. Dr. Deepa, welcome to The Safe Space. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I know you have been a big inspiration for me and a mentor, so I'm just excited to be joining you and super excited to be Well, here. thank you for the kind words. Dr. Deepa, you are a board-certified psychiatrist. You are a professor at NYU in New York City. You teach so many wonderful things, including spirituality and love which we all, you know, have experienced with. We may not all uh, believe in a spiritual faith, but a part of us knows that, you know, we can't explain everything. And a lot of what we do in practice uses mindfulness. So I want to talk about mindfulness because I know that you have a lot of thoughts and also expertise in this area. Absolutely. So, you know, growing up, mindfulness and that terminology wasn't necessarily that something I was so familiar with. But as I got into psychiatry, started learning about dialectical behavioral therapy, I really realized that mindfulness is just so important. And I was reading through DBT and the different skill sets associated with DBT. And I was like, wait a second, this is this is what I grew up with. I grew up Hindu, but with a lot of spiritual underpinnings within Hinduism. And the idea of mindfulness was kind of ingrained in me. And to see it manualized was a very interesting experience because it's taking something that is so therapeutic and healing, which I grew up with in my family. And it was interesting to see it within a manual. I thought a lot of the concepts were very helpful to a lot of my patients. And I think there's still more that can be done to expand on some of those concepts within DBT. Right now we use it for borderline personality disorder, but I think mindfulness really broadly can be used for any and every psychiatric illness. And you can use it every day. So like, let's break that down. When people use the word mindfulness, I think it can get a bit confusing. For example, people think like, okay, does it mean that I have to be meditating? Like, what is it? You know, can everyone do it? So let's break it down in a very simple way. Yeah. So mindfulness, very simply put, is being completely immersed in the present moment that you're in. The only thing that you're engaged in is what's happening in front of you right now. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. And you're really engaged and present with all the things happening in your surroundings. This means that you are engaging your senses. Meditation is one avenue in which to do that. But you can really do anything mindfully. We could do mindful eating. We could do mindful listening. We can do mindful observation. So we're really engaging our five senses and being really present in the moment and drawing attention to those senses in this moment. That's really important because something little like eating, we don't even think about that as, I mean, we, sometimes we don't think about it at all. I can't, I mean, I can't count how many times I sat at my desk and I was like, oh, I have to like eat quickly, got to see a patient. But once I met this chef and he was actually from part of India and he had a lot of the uh, elements from his culture infused in the cooking, but not just the ingredients, the culture of eating. And I remember he taught us that like, I, you should not eat from paper or plastic as many times as possible. 
you can, tr- you should try to use real cups, real plates, real utensils. And I just thought like, oh, like that's great for sustainability, right? But then he added something extra to that. He said, it's a part of the experience. There's something different about like using something real to cut your food. You know, you eat slower when you eat from like a real plate, you drink slower when you drink from a a real glass the food tastes better because a lot of the toxins from like the paper and plastic aren't seeping into it so it's just like a really enjoyable experience and you actually pay attention to what you're eating more than if you're eating out of something like reusable or um, something that is like a plastic or paper so I thought that was really interesting because he was giving me a lesson in mindfulness and I did not even know that yeah I think that's so wonderful and I 100% agree with everything you said I think the way the food is served in India sometimes it's on a on a big giant leaf and you eat with your hands it's Mm. a very immersive experience right we're not really using utensils as much we're eating with our hands or sharing food so there's a lot of engagement that comes in that moment in doing some of those things like you said and it just enhances that energy within that one moment that you're in and you can feel that energy in that space and that sort of energy when felt they call this flow state sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're that immersed in a moment everything just feels like at peace you feel this calmness and this joy that and that's what mindfulness brings into every experience, whether it's eating food with family and friends, whether it's going on a walk and paying attention to what you're hearing, seeing. Like you said, I think there are certain techniques, as you mentioned, what you put your food in, mm-hmm. super important, how you're eating it, savoring it, thinking about how it's tasting. I remember my uncle once saying to me, stop talking while we're at the dinner table. (laughs) Me and my sister, you know, just going back and forth talking, me and my cousins um, came from a pretty big family where it's just kind of chaotic sometimes when we get around the dinner table and are eating together and it's really exciting to chat. But it does, sometimes that will take away from the experience of what you're actually putting in your mouth and eating. And and sometimes you don't know where to stop, what you're actually doing, because you're just just so mechanical. I'm doing it while doing so many other things. And it's, it's super important for us to all remember to take a break, pause, and really pay attention to what we're doing and what our intention is. So now we're going to take a break and you're going to show me how to eat mindfully. So I told Dr. Deepa that I'm a really fast eater. (laughs) Yes. You know, eating is a point of joy in someone's day. So I'm going to try to eat more mindfully. Okay. And um, technically we would use a real plate, but for the sake of this, this demonstration, We'll use the plate that we have in the office. So So for those who don't know, roti is really from a South Asian culture. And where I'm from in Trinidad, which is an island in the the Caribbean, there are a lot of people of Indian heritage, including my mother. We eat roti, we eat curry. And this is Trinidadian roti. I learned today that a lot of like the practices from India, such as like Um, Some parts of India, such as eating with your hands, really encourage mindfulness because you're using more senses. So you're going to teach me how to eat my roti and curry mindfully. (laughs) Amazing. Unfortunately, I can't partake in this mindful eating because I'm vegetarian, but that's okay. I will guide us through this. You'll you'll enjoy it vicariously through me. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to break off a piece of the roti. Done. Perfect. And we're going to hold it to our nose and smell it. Okay. I'm going to scoop up some curry chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Can you describe what you're smelling and what your experience is? I definitely smell curry. <laughs> I smell chicken. Okay. <laughs> I also smell like the chickpeas, some of the, like the, the flour, because roti is like a, a flat bread, mm-hmm. but it's buttery. Perfect. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take a tiny little bite of that and really chew it. Mm. And what, what was that experience like? What did that taste like? So it tastes um, a little bit salty, a little sweet, actually. I'm surprised. You taste the curry. And the chicken is really tender and juicy. The texture is really interesting because a little bit of the chicken was a, a little cr- crispy. Mm-hmm. And the flour from the roti is fluffy. And because it's so flavorful, it caused my mouth to really like get moist and <laughs> want to finish more. Want to finish more of it? <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, typically I also say to just hold hold the food in your mouth for a second before you start chewing it mm. too, right? So that way you're really getting some of that taste and flavor and appreciating it and then chewing it and swallowing it in that sequence. So you're really appreciating the different textures as you described and all the flavor in there. It sounds delicious. <laughs> now my mouth's watering. Um, What's interesting is that because I was so focused on the food and the experience I didn't even think about the fact that I'm being like filmed eating that I'm talking to you I was really in that moment so I see how really paying attention to your senses and staying present allows you to just focus on one thing versus being distracted by all of the noise around you Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for bringing that energy <laughs> to the safe space. It's It's been such a joy. And I can, like you said, I feel that engagement with you in the moment. And I completely have forgotten that we're even on a podcast right. talking right now. So this has been wonderful. One more thing I would say, if we're going to engage our senses with mindful eating is also the texture that you feel. So you can engage your touch and think about how the food feels in, on your fingers, what your experience of that is. And also visually is looking mm. at it and describing what it is that you're seeing. This way we're engaging as many of our senses as we can. And if we're crunchy listening to it, right? So Absolutely. Can, so you're going to take me through 478 breathing. It's an exercise that you use with your clients to help them with stress. Yes, I actually can recall this one patient I had who really had a lot of tension, quite literally physically within his body. Mm. And I remembered this specific breathing technique. It's rooted in pranayama yoga. It's it's part of ancient tradition. And it's related to this imbalance of energy in your body. Sometimes with anxiety, you quite literally feel it within your body, as we know, as psychiatrists, that physiologically you're feeling this anxiety and it's causing tension within specific parts of your body. So through breathing in this very specific way, I actually helped this patient alleviate some of that somatic tension that had built up in his body. And it was just a beautiful thing to see because I felt like I was honoring my upbringing and tradition, which was a really special experience for me. That's something I don't realize that I do. I remember I was recently with my personal trainer mm-hmm. and he brought in a breathing specialist and she was just like, breathe. And I was like, I'm breathing. And she was like, no, 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 you're not breathing. And I was like, even I, I know this and I have to remind myself to breathe, to really like do that diaphragmatic breathing. So take us through that exercise. Yeah, so let's walk through the 478 breathing technique. How it really works is that 
We're going to plant our feet on the floor and we're going to relax our body. You can choose to keep your eyes open or closed, whatever feels more comfortable to you. And what we're going to do is take a deep breath in and count to four. And we're going to hold for seven. And then we're going to take a deep exhalation through our mouth for eight seconds. So we're breathing through our nose for the inhalation? Yes. Okay. So in through our nose for four seconds. Hold for seven. And then a deep exhalation through your mouth for eight. Now, should I be paying attention to my diaphragm? Should I be making sure not to do any chest breathing? So while we're doing this, we're really going to focus directing our breath towards our diaphragm. So we're going to try expanding our lungs on that inhale through the nose for those four counts. We're going to hold that again for seven. And on our exhalation through the mouth, we're going to direct that breath into the diaphragm and belly. When I think about it, I can actually notice a difference. If I breathe in my default mode, I'm like using a lot of my chest. But when I'm really thinking about it and being mindful, I'm, I'm like paying attention to my abdomen. Absolutely. Really and I feel relaxed. Yeah, Great. <laughs> I know it's relaxing just to talk about it, to practice it. And it's super easy. It's something we can do every day. And I think, as you mentioned before, you were saying that sometimes you forget to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more conscientious you become of this, the more likely you are to utilize it in times where you're doing a bunch of things at once to redirect that energy back to one thing at a time and to your breathing to help you feel this calmness. And it actually calms down your fight or flight, your, you know, that mode where you're revved up. Yeah. It's a natural way that you can self-regulate. Absolutely, which comes into play and is so important even in our relationships. I think about, you know, we feel these rush of emotions when we're having certain discussions that maybe escalate into arguments. And if we can tap into this and help ourselves feel calm in those moments, it makes a huge, huge difference in our relationships, our work and our overall life. So how many repetitions do you recommend? I would do this for five minutes at least. Um, and I would have to add the number of seconds of, uh, you know, four, seven, eight, um, specifically, but I would practice this, um, at a minimum, I would say, try this for 10 repetitions. And that's a good way to even start your day. That won't even take that long. We all have 10 minutes in our day too. And then that energy you can carry throughout your day. I like to do mindful walking. So if I start my day with, with this breathing exercise, I'd put away my phone, put away my music, which I had the habit of listening to on my <laughs> walks quite frequently. Um, I put that away and I really just set my intention for the day and, and practice mindful walking. Um, so that way... It becomes part of your routine. So Dr. Deepa, I always ask my guests to think of a time in their lives when they were really high functioning. I mean, most of my guests are really high functioning, but where you were on the outside, you looked like you had it all together and maybe people didn't realize that you were struggling. And how did you get through that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think 
you know, medical school can be a rude awakening. You think you're really bright and then you go to medical school and you're like, oh my God, everyone's really bright, you know? So you're surrounded by all these really smart people. And the one memory that comes to mind where it looked externally as though I was really thriving, succeeding is actually in fellowship at NYU. I had recently ended a relationship and I took on a bunch of different tasks. I did not give myself a moment to sit and think and feel and process that relationship having ended. And I decided to do the chief position. I was going out, mingling with the new first year fellows, really conducting a lot of the interviews, also starting my second year of fellowship, which was a whole new transitional year from the first year. During that time, I think it looked as though to everyone else, I was accomplishing so much, doing so much, really just thriving. And on the inside, I felt like so stressed and so tense and so pressured to find something to do to keep going. And I hit a burning point in October. This started in July and in October I hit a wall and I just remember feeling like you can't keep this up. It's not sustainable. You need to take a moment for yourself. And that's when I really grounded myself in my upbringing and my values and all that I've learned through my training and began to embrace mindfulness again and reintroduce that in my life. And that really caused a shift for me. I love how you bring up your upbringing and you have such a rich heritage and culture, but sometimes when you're caught up in academia, you forget that there are elements from your culture that were there before your training that can you can pull on to ground you, to remind you of who you are, to give you confidence and pride. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming to the safe space.